0: Hello and welcome to Sharp Podcast, the podcast from SON Development, where we help you get better at the things you have to do, so you can spend more time doing the things you want to do. Now, this is the second of our reshare episodes. This is where we're taking what I think are our best episodes, the ones that help our listeners make real change, and resharing them. For this one, I've picked the work-life balance episode. Now, this episode was first broadcast in March 2021. So we're now two years further along and things like working from home, remote working, Zoom meetings, a four-day week, mental health, these are all still really hot topics since the impact of COVID. And I think having those things in the mix make this idea, this subject of work-life balance even more interesting and perhaps even more relevant for you. Whether you think you are getting good work-life balance or you feel a bit conflicted, In this episode, we looked at the whole subject. We asked, what actually is work-life balance? Is it really a thing? And if so, how do you get it? We discovered the impact on things like mental health, relationships, and getting better at the work stuff. I like this episode because there is a great insight from people who have really looked at this subject in detail. Oh, and as well as the serious side, there's a fair bit of the less serious stuff, because balance is important in everything, right? Right. So whether you are a brand new listener, and this is the first time that you've heard this or any of our episodes, if you are, welcome to Sharp Podcast. If you've listened to it before, a lot's changed in these last two years, and it might be interesting and useful to revisit this subject in the context of how the world is now, even only two years later. In any case, I hope you enjoy it. We like it. Hope you do. So have a listen again to episode 70, Work-Life Balance.
1: the discussions about flexi-time or dress-down Fridays or paternity leave only serve to mask the core issue.
0: Welcome to episode 70. So we're going to be tackling a brand new subject in this episode, work-life balance. Now, many of us might have felt at times that our work life balance might need adjusting. And before we get started, I just want to put a quick note in here to say that I recognize that right here, right now, in early 2021, there are many people who are not working, who are in difficult scenarios. And this episode might not be directly relevant to your situation if you're in that position at the moment, right now, from a work perspective, but you might also find benefits from the parts where we focus on the life side of the equation. But most of us at some point have experienced our work-life balance being out of kilter. And it could be anything from a vague sense that something's not right, to a very specific sense because we're working till midnight, we've missed dinner, we've missed the kids, and something needs to change. Whatever you feel needs adjusting in your life, we look at this interesting subject, we tackle what do we actually mean when we say work-life balance and then we look at some practical steps that you can implement to help you. Let's go. Okay, so there's lots of advice out there on how to get work-life balance, isn't there? There you go, the advice is out there, you don't need to actually listen to this episode, just Google it and do what Google tells you. Funnily enough, I did that and I discovered that there's a bit more to it. You see, there's lots of advice on how to get work-life balance, but what's less clear is actually, what is work-life balance? What does it actually mean? So here's a sneaky behind-the-scenes audio of me in the office starting my research when I googled work-life balance. OK, Google. Work-life balance... What are you saying? So, first one, Wikipedia. So, Wikipedia says that work-life balance is the equilibrium between personal life and career work. Okay, so, Wikipedia, you're basically saying that work-life balance is a balance between work and life. Yeah, not very helpful. What's this next one? The Mental Health Foundation. What are they saying? So, they say that work-related stress costs Britain 10.4 million working days a year. A key way to protect your mental health against the potential effects of work-related stress is to ensure you have a work-life balance, okay? They've done a survey. Their survey, one-third of people have said they're unhappy about the time they devote to work. More than 40% of people are neglecting other aspects of their life. The more hours you spend at work, the more hours outside of work you're likely to spend thinking or worrying about it. Nearly two-thirds of people in their survey experienced a negative effect on their personal life, a lack of personal development, physical and mental health problems, and poor relationships and a poor home life. Okay, so it's clearly a problem, but again, that's not really helping us understand what it is. Forbes. um, So Forbes got an article here about the evolving definition. So the definition of work-life balance is evolving. They talk about millennials, burnt out and overworked, making workplaces millennial-friendly by adding games, rooms, and beanbags. I'm sure millennials are a bit more sophisticated than that. Uh, Flexibility, it's more than just working hours. So again, this is about time. Okay, they talk about a good work-life balance, making work feel like a second home. Um, That's quite interesting. All right, well, look, I'm going to carry on doing my research. I'll put links to these articles in the show notes, but I'm going to do some more research to prepare the rest of the episode. So leave me to it. And when I find out what it really is, I'll share it with you in a few minutes. But first, I found out that Steve in the field has turned his hand to making radio adverts. He's got a new production agency, apparently, and he sent us a couple of examples. And he says that he's very proud of the audio quality and he's learned some new accents. Right, let's have a listen. They're going to be rubbish. leaky bath, drippy taps, boiler not working, then you need a plumber. But if you want the job done right, you need a plumber with the most expensive tools. You know, it's a little known secret, but plumbing is actually really easy. And you can do plumbing in your spare time. All you need are great tools. Here at Leaks and Pipes and Taps Limited, our plumbers might not actually know what they're doing. You might even get a plumber who's on his first day, but it doesn't matter because he's got a U87 pipe bender, the best in class. He might look a little shaky, but fear not because when he brings out his Apollo twin tap reseating tool, you know your pipes are in safe hands. So remember, next time you have a leak, don't look for a plumber with any experience or skill, just check if his radiator key is made by Neumann, and you know you'll get a great result. Probably. All information in this advert is fictional, not to be taken seriously, and in no way reflects the actual skills of great plumbers out there. Any brand names referred to are spelled differently to any actual brands, and any similarity is entirely coincidental. Also, if you genuinely need a plumber, let me know, because I can recommend a really good one. Uh, right, thanks, Steve, I think. Anyway, back to the subject. So yeah, I did some research on work-life balance, and I thought that the first step in identifying the solution to anything is to be clear on what the actual problem is that we're trying to solve. It makes sense to me that if you can understand the problem, then you can identify an effective solution. And further down the line with my research, I came across a few TED Talks that give a different perspective on this problem of work-life balance and they can help us see the problem in different ways. So with each of these three talks I'm going to play a snip now in the podcast. I'll explain what I see are the key ideas and then if you want to you can watch the full talks after the podcast ready to create your plan because the links to each one will be in the show notes. So the first one is a nice piece by a chap called Nigel Marsh on his discovery about work-life balance. Now this talk is over 10 years old but it's got five million views on TED. It is quite funny, and it's only 10 minutes long, so I'll put a link to the full talk in the show notes, but here's a snip.
1: But all I learned about work-life balance from that year was that I found it quite easy to balance work and life when I didn't have any work. (laughs) Not a very useful skill, uh, especially when when the money runs out. Um, So I went back to work, and I've spent the seven years since struggling with, studying, and writing about work-life balance. Uh, I have four observations I'd like to share with you uh, today. The first is if society is to make any progress on this issue, we we need an honest debate. But the trouble is, so many people talk so much rubbish about work-life balance. All the discussions about flexi-time or dress-down Fridays or paternity leave only serve to mask the core issue, which is that certain job and career choices are fundamentally incompatible with being meaningfully engaged on a day-to-day basis with a young family. Now, the first step in solving any Problem is acknowledging the reality of the situation you're in. And the reality of the society that we're in is there are thousands and thousands of people out there leading lives of quiet, screaming desperation, where they work long, hard hours at jobs they hate to enable them to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. And it's my contention that going to work on a Friday in jeans and T-shirt isn't really getting to the nub of the issue.
0: So as I said, there'll be a link to that full talk in the show notes for you to watch after the episode. What sticks out from Nigel's talk to me is that whatever this problem is, it isn't going to be solved by anyone else. We, you, have to solve it. And that's a challenge. Any company that any of us work for, has a priority to deliver some kind of outcome. And whatever we do in that company, we help them achieve those outcomes if we do more stuff to a better standard. And then the company does better and so on, which is generally good news. And it's unlikely that the company is going to tell us to stop doing things. Now, I remember when I was really young and new into the work market, um, I was keen to succeed. I wanted to win. I wanted to get promoted. And as a young person, I would have worked longer hours or I'd give up more of my personal space or time to get established. Is it a surprise that many businesses are keen to take on young people? Or is that a coincidence? Maybe that's a different podcast subject. Anyway, someone who isn't quite young anymore, my views are a little bit different now. I can see it from the other side. If what you're doing involves a degree of working from home, it's harder to have a clean beginning and end to the day. You know, we don't have the actual journey to work. And that, combined with technology being always on, risks that the boundaries can become blurred. In his talk, Nigel describes that it feels like a conflict. And it's not just about balance, but that he says that there is a direct conflict between what a business might need from a person and what the person needs now you may or you may not agree later on we're going to hear from people that don't think it's that big a conflict but the key takeaway from this talk is how nigel refers to a possible solution he says it's the little things and not the big things and for him the little things seem to be reading a bedside story and the significant number of times that he's aiming to have sex in one day so let's park Nigel's view for a minute, because before then, I want to ask you to consider a different perspective on work-life balance. Nigel clearly says there's a problem, and the problem needs addressing. And the idea of balance, the word balance in the phrase, sets up an idea of conflict, doesn't it? By highlighting work as being in conflict with life, and then trying to find a balance, we can get stuck. And this might explain why it's such a difficult problem to solve. Michael Walters talks about this in a TED Talk from 2017. Now, the view in this talk is different, and you might not agree with it, but I'd ask you again to watch the full talk at the end and decide what it might mean to you. I'll put a link to the full talk in the show notes, but here's a snip. So, people come and talk to me a lot when we get coffee, and they say, what do I do? I'm really stuck.
2: And I say, stop searching. And I say, what? Stop searching. I said, yeah, stop searching for balance. And they look at me and say, you need to explain a little bit more. So that's what i to share with you. I'm really passionate about this, okay? I go to them and I say, you cannot separate your work from your life. So stop trying to balance it. Stop trying to break it out. They said, explain more. I said, okay. So I'm gonna ask all of you, walk through this with me.
0: So the theme in this talk is that work Is life, that it's all part of what we do, that it is all life, and that for some reason we set up this arbitrary conflict between work and life and the balance. Now that's interesting because if you think about it, what else is there in life? You've got things like exercise, family, hobbies. Try Googling the following things exercise, life balance, or family, life balance. Try googling hobby life balance. What's quite interesting is the majority of the responses you get are about work-life balance. So, work-life balance is a sticky idea. The idea that work is something that you do that is at odds with your life. I don't think we can just dismiss it, as Michael suggests, but we could change a bit of our perspective. I think that the root cause could be, in many cases... That we're not spending too much time doing work. It's that we're spending too much time doing something that we're unhappy with that happens to be work. Now that might sound obvious, but I do think there's a subtle difference. The whole premise of our podcast is that we help you get better at the stuff you have to do so you can spend more time doing the things you want to do. I am guilty of creating that conflict. But, you know, we live in the real world there are going to be things that we have to do that we don't want to do. My view, if you have to do them, get good at them, do them well and fast, and then get back to doing what you want to do. So that's one view. Um, There's another view, you might love work. You might want to do work. It might be your own business. You might just love the vocation you're in. But even if you love it, is it right to make it the only thing in your life? Whether you love your job, or hate your job, or something in between, I think there is a place to look at the whole picture and work out what balance means to you. So today, right, we've got working from home, we've got homeschooling, everything is mobile, everything from WhatsApp to TikTok to all sorts of stuff. It's easy to see how work is encroaching on time or our headspace, and that didn't happen before. Now, we can't stop the technology. Probably wouldn't want to. Uh, If you're unhappy with all of this, you could change your job. And if you are unhappy, perhaps you should. But first, I think you need to decide, is it actually the job that's making you unhappy? Or... Is it what the job is stopping you from doing? Is there a way that I could actually do the things I want to do, but without necessarily changing the job? Now, maybe, maybe not. But to me, it seems worth checking out before you make that big change of changing the job. When I first started doing this podcast, I felt that the day job that I was doing at the time wasn't giving me the opportunity to be creative. So I started the podcast and I treated that as an important part of my life. And that meant that I could get that creativity satisfaction, but I didn't have to change my job. And I think maybe it will help if we look at all the aspects of our life, not just work, but family life, the physical side, because there's actually a lot more to it, isn't there, really, when you look at it. You know, you've got your work life, you've got your family life, you've got the physical side, you've got the social side. So it seems... According to Michael Walters, the solution could be in about identifying what the relationship is between all of these things, everything that makes up your life, not just work and everything else. So you might say, okay, well that's great, but what are the practical steps? What can I actually do? Well, don't worry, because I've got some ideas and I'll share them with you later. For the final perspective, if you can't change your work, can you change how you feel about it? Can we stop work from being the negative side in this work life balance equation? So, this brings me to our third TED talk. This is my absolute favorite TED talk. It's Sean Aker. It's about nine years old now. Uh, it's got over 3 million views on YouTube. Again, I'll put the link to the full talk in the show notes so you can watch it later. But here's a snip.
2: When I was seven years old, and my sister was just five years old, we were playing on top of a bunk bed. I was two years older than my sister at the time. I mean, I'm two years older than her now, but at the, <laughs> at the time that meant she had to do everything that I wanted to do, and I wanted to play war. So we were up on top of our bunk beds, and on one side of the bunk bed, I had put out all my G.I. Joe soldiers and weaponry, and on the other side were all my sister's Milos and ponies and ready for a cavalry charge. There are differing accounts of what actually happened that afternoon, but since my sister is not here with us today, um, let me tell you the true story. <laughs> Which is, my sister is a little bit on the clumsy side, and somehow, without any help or push from her older brother at all, suddenly Amy disappeared off of the top of the bunk bed and landed with this crash on the floor. And I nervously peered over the side of the bed to see what had befallen my fallen sister, and saw that she had landed painfully on her hands and knees on all fours on the ground. I was nervous because my parents had charged me with making sure that my sister and I played as safely and as quietly as possible. And seeing as how I had accidentally broken Amy's arm just one week before, (laughs) heroically pushing her out of the way of an oncoming imaginary sniper bullet, (laughs) for which I have yet to be thanked, I was trying as hard as I could she didn't even see it coming. I was trying as hard as I could to be on my best behavior, and I saw in my sister's face this wail of pain and suffering and surprise, threatening to erupt from her mouth and threatening to wake my parents from the long winter's nap for which they had settled. So I did the only thing my little frantic seven-year-old brain could think to do to avert this tragedy. If you have children, you've seen this hundreds of times before. I said, Amy, Amy, wait, don't cry, don't cry. Did you see how you landed? No human lands on all fours like that. <laughs> Amy, I think this means you're a unicorn. Now that was cheating because there's nothing...
0: This is a really good talk. As I said, it is my absolute favourite. I'm smiling because if you haven't seen it yet, you're going to get to see it and uh, I think you'll love it. I like his graph. Anyway, Sean is talking about happiness and he's essentially talking about reframing things. What he basically says is that how we feel about work or anything is a direct result of how positively we view things in general what he's saying is don't change the view but change the lens. Now by the way I think that when he talks about positivity he's not talking about this wishy-washy everything is great approach. You know our views on lame positivity. In fact we did a whole episode on it. But later in his talk he talks about some specific action you can take to rewire your brain to enable you to be able to see what's good and take the challenges in your stride. He identifies five key things in his talk to create lasting change, and these are based on scientific research and not woo-woo. The woo-woo solutions are in a different episode. Anyway, we're going to cover these five things that he talks about in the practical actions in the final section. But before we get to the final section, let's review what we've learned so far. So we started by asking what actually is work-life balance? We dismissed some unhelpful suggestions about time because it's more than that. Nigel Marsh confirmed that you can't just avoid work and doing less of it isn't the full answer. He identifies that it's about what you do with the life bit. He talks about the story of his son going on the swings, having a pizza, being read a bedtime story by him, being described by his son as the best day in his life. He also said that companies are not going to solve it for us. So if we feel like we've got something missing, then what he's saying is that we've got to sort it ourselves. And he identified the little things. Be clear what they are because they lead to the big things. What little things could you do in your life that would make you feel good? Then we had Michael Walter's talk. So he dismantled the whole concept of the work-life balance argument. He's basically saying it's a fallacy, and that it is all life and we should consider the whole package. He suggested focusing on the relationship between all the elements in your life and how they make you feel. And then finally we learned from Sean Aker that even if you can't change the work or any other aspect of your life, you can change how you feel about it. Sean believes that we can reframe how we feel about things, including work, by looking at them through the lens of positivity and not the flimsy idea of positivity, but taking clear steps to help us reframe it. And I think that final bit is powerful. This idea of perspective. I mean, let's be honest. Most of us who are listening to this podcast, or making this podcast, aren't digging holes in the road, in the rain, for a living. If you are, I fully take my hat off to you. But the reality is that for the vast proportion of people who listen to a podcast like this, if you're working, you're probably doing something relatively safe in an environment that's okay, that's not causing you a great deal of personal hardship. It might be repetitive, there might be too much of it, but for the vast majority of us, we are safe, and it's not hurting us physically. Well, not unless you're slouching your chair all day. In fact, a large percentage of listeners to this podcast will be in the top income brackets in the world. And if you don't believe me, look it up. The BBC says that one-third of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day, and that if you earn more than $18,000 a year, you are in the top half of the world. Investopedia says if you earn over $32,000 a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. But whatever you earn... Most of us, in this audience, we don't have real hardship to complain about, do we? We're not living a life of abject poverty on $2 a day. So why are we unhappy? It reminds me of the line from Hamlet. I was going to say Shakespeare's Hamlet then, because, like, what other Hamlet is there? It reminds me of the line from Hamlet. There is nothing, either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. So obviously... When you take the time to think, it is all relative, but it can be helpful to be clear on what's important. You know, many of us can summon up the delivery of almost anything we want at the press of a button, delivered to our door, with no fuss. But is that happiness? Is that worth all the downsides of working 12-hour days? Maybe. I'm not sure. It might be worth thinking about. So, we're going to have a look next at the practical steps that we can take to help us get balance. Now, I feel a bit like things have taken a bit of a gloomy turn. I tell you what, let's listen to a bit of nonsense to cleanse our palate. Yes, I'm afraid it's time again for another one of Steve in the Fields adverts. Join us afterwards for the practical bit where we can actually form our plan. (laughs) Have you been in the market for a new house for ages and you're getting nowhere? Been out and about trudging around town doing viewing after viewing and never finding your ideal home? Then you need housesonline.com.uk forward slash.co. We take the pain out of house buying by bringing the house to you. Just follow the three simple steps. Step one. Review all the amazing houses that we have available to fit your criteria. Step 2. Choose the house of your dreams. Step 3. Choose the delivery and postage that best suits your budget. And within 48 hours, your wonderful new house will be delivered to your doorstep by one of our fantastic drivers. Not going to be in? Don't worry. We can leave your new house with a neighbor or in a safe place just behind the recycling bin ready for when you get back and then all you have to do is assemble your new home, take the old one to the rubbish tip, and enjoy living your best life. And if you don't like the neighborhood that you live in or your journey to work, why not try our sister companies, flatpacknewneighborhoodonline.com and NewJobToGo.org.uk/com.org? goorguk forward slash dot com dot org. All available with Prime membership, so your new house and neighborhood and job can be delivered the next day and sometimes, even the same day. Stop being old-fashioned, Grandad. Make the change. Everyone does everything online now, so join them and stop being a stick in the mud. All items delivered flat pack and require some home assembly. All tools supplied, which basically means we'll send you an Allen key that's made from tinfoil. This advert contains cookies. Your decision to listen to the advert means that you've confirmed acceptance of our cookie policy, which basically means we can pop into your computer, have a rummage around, and help ourselves to anything that catches our eye housesonline.com.uk forward slash dot co. Join the future of house buying today. Honestly, is he actually getting paid for these? He tells me they all have a deeper meaning. I'm not so sure. Although Guy Slocum, if you're listening, thanks for the idea for the plumber one. OK, so let's have a look at some practical stuff. I've watched these talks I've reviewed lots of content and I've identified four actions that I think could help you to help your work-life balance and move the needle towards feeling better. The four things are change perspective, take stock, set goals, do the little things. So, action number one. Practical steps to change our perspective. Now, I think we need to do this action first. Because once we've got that right, the rest flows from it. And Sean Aker shared some practical things to help us see stuff through a lens of positivity or perspective. He said, if we do these things every day for 21 days, it will change our outlook. And they are. Write down three gratitudes a day not big things but things like I have running water I get to lie in a warm bed I have food and so on the second one of Sean's steps is journaling write down one thing that went well in that day because of you every day the third one is exercise do it every day doesn't need to be big exercise it could just be steps it could be walking around the house it could be stretching it could be anything The next thing he says to do every day is meditation. So again, it could be a full meditation habit or you could just sit for 10 minutes every day paying attention to what's happening in your head. And finally, random acts of kindness. One thing a day. So, action one. Carry out Sean's five things. Gratitude, journaling, exercise, meditation, random acts of kindness and do those every day for 21 days. What have you got to lose? and then when you've done that, it's action two. Take stock. Look at the whole picture of your life. All right, Steve, how do we do that? Well, one method is a thing called the life score by Michael Hyatt. He says that life has got 10 domains. And don't worry about writing these down. I'll put the list of these 10 things in the show notes. But Michael Hyatt's 10 domains are social, parental, marital physical, emotional, intellectual, spiritual, financial, avocational, I had to look that up, avocational means hobbies, and work. It's interesting, isn't it, that the work ones last, and it only makes up 10% of the picture. So I'll share a link to Michael's life score assessment, but effectively what we're doing in action two is that we're taking stock, we're reviewing all the stuff in our life, and for each one we're just identifying how satisfied are we with each of them. Do they get enough of your time and attention? Give that a go. Be honest and see what you come up with. Once we've done those two things, it's action three. To set goals. And this is just for the key ones that you want to move forward. Just pick two or three things that you want to move on first and most. You can come back to the others later. So how do you set goals for some of this life stuff? Well, here's a few examples. The parental one, you could set a goal for your relationship with your kids. So we have actually set a goal, which is, what do we want our relationship to be like with our kids? Um, Hobbies. If you were doing a hobby that you really got a lot from, what would that look like? When would you be doing it? How often? Financial, it's a bit more straightforward. You can set goals for how am I going to pay off debt? maybe just a small amount per week, per month, or how am I going to save a tiny amount? And the important thing when you set goals is to be specific. Here's an example from our actual list. We had the parental relational one, and I think that could be one of the hardest areas to set a goal for. So Liam, my son, he doesn't live in our house all the time. He splits time with his mum and us, and I want to have a great relationship with him. So I set a goal to identify What would a good relationship with my son look like? And when I got down to it, a good relationship with my son would include things like having open conversations, enjoy being in each other's company, helping each other. Those things describe some aspects of a good relationship. So that's action three. Set goals for the key aspects of your life. Action four, the last one. Once you've got the big goals set, identify the little things. So what are the little steps that you need to take to achieve the big goals? Coming back to the example with Liam, one of the things that we have as an agreement between us is that when he's at his mum's, I'll video call him every night round about 7 o'clock and we'll talk about the day, what do we have for dinner, we'll pull faces at each other, whatever. It doesn't really matter. In that situation, the little thing is the video call, but it's non-negotiable. So for me, the little step to take to deliver the bigger goal was ensure that every night I make a video call with him and that I don't fail. I've decided it's important because I'm really clear on how it can help with the important goal of having a good relationship. I'm clear about what the little actions are and then I make sure that I do them when I've planned to. Now I'm only telling you, I'm not telling you you should do what I do. I'm just giving you examples of it might feel a bit difficult to understand, well, how can I set goals for this stuff? But it can be done. So that's action four. From the big goals, set little actions, measure them, make sure they're relatively easy to do, and prioritise them. If we want to tackle this area of work-life balance, I think what we've learned is that it's actually about tackling life first, raising the life side of the seesaw, the life side of the scales, back up in importance. And it seems to me that these four actions could make a difference. So just a reminder, number one, change your perspective with Sean's five daily things for 21 days. Number two, review your whole life. How is it going, really? Number three, set goals for your whole life, relationships, financial, and so on. And number four, the little actions. What are the little actions that support the big goals? Be clear on what they are and measure your progress on them. Something else I've learned is that measuring the progress, whether your progress is good, bad, or indifferent, that's actually where happiness comes from. In spite of the fact that I might have good days, I might have bad days, overall, I'm moving in the right direction. So that's the life bit. And we've now got clear plans and actions, and we're doing it with purpose, and we know what we need to do. What about the work side? I think that once we've decided what's important, and then we've taken the steps to ensure that we progress on those things, then it's easier to identify where work gets in the way. And then we can set boundaries, because we've decided that our life things are important. We've decided that with intention, we're measuring them, and we're making clear progress on them. But if work gets in the way, now it's obvious where that's happening. And now you've got an incentive to change it, to say no, to put boundaries in, or if needed, to change your work. I mean, ultimately, we have to make some difficult decisions. Are the things in my life more important than what I happen to do for a day job for the income? And whilst it might be a difficult decision... You can only get to that point if you've actually given some thought to what do those things look like? What's important to me? And then once you've done that you can then say things like my working day must have a hard stop at 6pm because I've got family time or a personal project to work on. Or you can say no I can't do this work assignment over the weekend, I've got clear plans that I won't give up. Or Alternatively you can say I decide that I will do the work assignment over the weekend and I'll move my personal plans to another weekend. The point is that you're making a choice with intention. And that's got to be better than just letting things happen to you, isn't it? From experience, I do know that if you take these four actions, it's not going to get worse. And if you go on this journey, you might discover some things about yourself along the way. So we're nearly at the end. If you haven't watched the TED videos yet, do it after this and you'll find out why reading bedtime stories to his son became important to Nigel, why Michael likes playing with his balls, sorry Michael, and why Sean was able to convince his sister that she was a unicorn after pushing her off the bunk bed. So what's your unicorn story? What might be important to you in your relationship with your kids, your family or your life? I'm convinced it's the little things. If you just have two things... Work and life is easy to struggle. But if you have 10 things and work is just one of them, an important one, but it's still just one, that's balance. Ultimately, surely taking the nine things in life and balancing them up with the one element of work is more balanced than just living in hope that we might have enough time to do the things that we really want to do. If you want, you could have 11 things in your life, you could dedicate an entire domain to listen to Sharp Podcast. You decide. I really hope this episode's helped your thinking. Please let us know. We'd love to hear if you've made positive changes to your balance, what they were, share them with us, and we'll share them with the audience. That's it. Enjoy, have fun. If I can help, let me know. And I'll see you in the next episode. We hope that you enjoyed what you've just listened to. Have a look at the show notes for the episode, and there you'll see the links, resources that we used, and there's reminders there to help you get better at what we talked about. You know, making this podcast is a labour of love, and we genuinely do it for one reason, to help you. And we want to help as many people as we can, but to do that, we need your support. So now this is where you can help us. You can share our episodes on social media. You could send a link to a friend or help them subscribe on their device. And another free way you can support is to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your Podcatcher app. Thanks for your help. It's really appreciated. Bye-bye.
2: and schools, the very first thing they said to never do is to start your talk with a graph. The very first thing I wanted to do is start my talk with a graph. This graph looks boring, but this graph is the reason that I get excited and wake up every morning. And this graph doesn't even mean anything. It's fake data. What we found is...